Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Marion Cooper is the executive director of the Canadian Mental Health Association for Manitoba and Winnipeg. He joins us in studio today. And Marion, thank you for doing this. So much conversation in the last month in particular about mental health awareness. We did a panel conversation yesterday about uh, teenagers in particular, teenage girls who had slipped through the cracks of our system. Uh, Maybe we could start by talking about some of the various types of mental health issues, because for whatever reason, we we like to categorize these things. It Mm -hmm. it makes it tidy for us. So maybe you could do that Mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. So the most common mental health problems or disorders um, would be depression and then anxiety. Um, So those are the two most common that... um, you know, represent sort of the, the sig- most significant burden in terms of disease in, in Canada uh, and the most prevalent. Um, there are other disorders as, you know, there's schizophrenia, there's bipolar disorder, which would be a type of mood disorder. There would be um, post-traumatic stress disorder, which would be a type of anxiety disorder. Um, and there's substance use disorders. So we think of addictions and substance use disorders under that broad umbrella of mental health um, diagnoses as well. So when we talk about one in five Canadians will have a mental health problem in their lifetime, that includes mental health and addictions issues. So we talk a lot about resources. Mm-hmm. What are the treatment options for some of these uh, issues? I know it's in broad strokes, but mm-hmm. I guess there are just there are a handful of, of options, fair to say. There's a handful of options, and um, what we really uh, focus on um, in terms of our advocacy around um, health spending and investing in better care and better access to care is investing in evidence-based treatment. Um, you know, a lot of times people uh, will go to their family doctor, and that's often sort of the starting point. Um, and family physicians, certainly uh, primary care providers in general, um you know, know a lot about how to support an individual around a mental health problem, but there are some limitations. Certainly there are medications to treat specific mental health problems, but it's it's usually a starting point, and not always is medication the, the treatment that you need to pursue. Um, access to good um, assessment and understanding what is, you know, what's going on for you and being able to really have a good sense of uh, what the main issues are, what, what specifically um, you're experiencing, how it's impairing your ability to carry out your daily functioning. We don't want to be prescribing medication for all of our, our struggles, right? So we don't want to, you know, uh, lead down that path of pathologizing all of our emotional angst because, of course... That's not helpful either. Um, but when a, a mental health problem is persistent and it's impacting your functioning, it does make sense to speak to your primary care provider and to reach out for help. Um, access to good um, counseling is really an important part of the approach to support recovery. Access to um, uh, cognitive behavior therapy as a very specific type of um, evidence-based approach, which can be delivered in many different ways, either through a psychologist or through a counseling service or through a formal mental health service, but also in other ways. So at the Canadian Mental Health Association, we have a program called Bounce Back, which is a telephone-based cognitive behavior therapy program that primary care providers can refer patients to and we deliver that through a phone-based intervention so it's telephone-based coaching so it really leads to that important conversation around 
early intervention. We don't want to let things get so bad before people seek help. So we really advocate and are trying to build a system uh, by offering some of these very low-cost, high-evidence-based um, interventions uh, like you know, telephone-based um, CBT, which really supports an individual to learn how to self-manage. Because that's ultimately our goal, is to give people the tools and the resources to be able to manage their mental health needs in the same way we have to manage and take care of our physical health needs. How do you know what kind of counseling you need to look up, be it a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Mm -hmm. How do you know which direction you should go? Sometimes it's really overwhelming. You don't know where to start. And um, one of the things that we do at the Canadian Mental Health Association through our information and referral service is we help people figure out what it is that's really going on so that you know what the next step is. One one of the things that we know can happen, people start you know trying all kinds of different things because they don't know where to go. So being able to get some good support and direction to figure out a, a bit of a treatment plan is always a good place to start. Um, you know, there are lots of services out there and, you know, certainly people can get, you know, recommendations from friends or family, their primary care provider. Everybody's needs are unique. So it's not an easy answer to that question, but it's figuring out what's going to be the first step that's going to make the difference for you. And oftentimes it makes sense to pause and really figure out what's going on, what's the priority right now. So if if the struggle is around depression or anxiety, being able to see your primary care provider and maybe get a referral to a mental health resource, um, either through your primary care provider or through Canadian Mental Health Association or through a self-help agency, be it Anxiety Disorders Association of Manitoba or the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, sometimes starting with a support group can be make a big difference for people. So we don't need to jump uh, to a psychiatrist or going to an inpatient uh, unit because often that's not going to be required for most people. Starting with those other things as a starting point can be a good place to go. Well, we were talking yesterday about peer supports and advocacy mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and how critical and valuable it is mm. in terms of, of getting the help you need. And so maybe you could just outline the Canadian Mental Health Association and and what you see your role in this as a facilitator, a matchmaking service. Mm. What do you do? Well, we do a lot of different things, um, but we do have a information and referral service that we've offered for many, many years. um, And that um, is made possible through our funding through United Way. Uh, That program is evolving into a really um, robust uh, service navigation support where we're helping people, you know, either they can walk in or phone us um, or um, check out our mental health resource guide. Um, We have an online version of the mental health resource guide where people can see the whole range of services and supports. We get hundreds of calls, uh, a huge variety of different requests to figure out where to go. Um, We often can do some short-term work with people to kind of figure out what the next step is. Um, We have a staff person who can do some brief therapy. Um, And sometimes people can find that very helpful and they're able to move on and and self-manage. Other people will need a referral to a formal mental health service. So um, that's one of the things that we do. We provide also a whole array of uh, education programs. Um, We have family education. Um, So if you have a loved one who's struggling with a mental health concern, but you know how 
how stressful that can be for a family member. Um, so we actually offer a mental health education for families that supports families to support their loved one, but also take care of themselves because there's a tremendous amount of caregiver stress and you don't often know how to be helpful. And so getting some support and guidance and also some support from others who are going through the same thing. Um, we also deliver uh, a range of mental health education um, approaches that support you to enhance your well-being. Um, we have uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. We have a whole series of recovery workshops that people can participate in that support them in their recovery. Um, you know, recovery is is really the goal for all of us. And recovery, whether you're recovering from a, an addiction or a mental health issue or a stressful life event, we all want to be, you know, healthy and um, flourish. And so these kinds of resources, whether it's individual or in a group or even through, you know, reading material or a website or a self-directed kind of tool, those things really we want to ensure are available and support people in their recovery. So often we find ourselves dealing with these things when we're in crisis. Mm -hmm. But... Maybe we need to start thinking more about mental wellness, mental well-being for mm -hmm. those that have never had a crisis and to be healthier in our state of mind, whether we've been down a road or dealt with an issue, period. Yeah. That's where we need to, to really invest and really focus uh, very early on. And there has been a lot of work that's been done in this area. Um, we're now seeing daycares, you know, and uh, early childhood educators embed a mental health pr promotion approach into their job. We're, we're talking with school divisions all across the city, and they're doing work around embedding mental health and well-being into curriculum, into how we create school culture, into how we create healthy workplaces. All of those things are kind of moving in that direction, but at, at the end of the day, um, we need to be paying attention to our emotional, our psychological, our social, and spiritual well-being. And that is totally wrapped up in you know our, our way of... Um, of uh, managing our, our health in general. So that's a big part of what CMHA does. We try and increase the public's mental health literacy. So what is it that you need to take care of your mental health? And how do you, you know, really focus on that? And, you know, sometimes it's taking a workshop. Um, it could be a whole host of things. So how do you take care of your physical health? You know, do you wait till your doctor says your blood pressure is through the roof? or that you need to quit smoking, most times, and most of us, that's what prompts us. And so often if someone's having a mental health um, crisis or a mental illness, it does kind of um, wake them up to say, okay, I need to take care of my mental health. But it's prevention, and it's about uh, thinking about mental illness and mental health in a preventative uh, approach as well. You mentioned that addiction issues, uh, you sort of lumped that in with the one in five mm -hmm. Canadians will mm -hmm. need some sort of a service. Do people with addictions, do you think that they are judged or uh, maybe unfairly judged? Well, why can't you just quit whatever it is you're addicted to? Why don't you just quit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, there there certainly is a lot of stigma associated with mental health problems, but in particular around substance use disorders. And because it's a behavioral a health issue. Um, somehow we look at that differently. And so what we've tried to do at the Canadian Mental Health Association nationally, but also provincially, is really start to talk about mental health and addictions so that we create that 
that environment where people who have a mental or a substance use disorder or an addiction, you know, are going to be able to feel that they can get the help that they need in mental health services. Um, so there is there is stigma, there is judgment, but I think we're we are moving forward. Um, there are different um, opinions about you know, what causes an addiction. And at the end of the day, we don't get bogged down with that at CMHA. You know, what causes a mental illness? What causes an addiction? We want to talk about what's going to help you recover and regain the life that you want and deserve and to feel supported. And so it's really challenging some of those judgmental attitudes and saying, let's move forward and and try and find solutions together. So... There's been a case in the in the public eye, and a decision may come down today, may come down tomorrow, and we're not going to talk about that case specifically, but it involves a patient, someone who was found criminally uh, not responsible for their actions based on a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And for all the understanding that I have mm-hmm. about mental wellness and, and mental health, I have to admit I'm uncomfortable with the idea of someone who has committed a serious crime being out of the system. So maybe you can help us understand, first of all, what is schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. and then tie it into how medication might Mm -hmm. help someone Mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. So schizophrenia is a a psychiatric uh, disorder, and in terms of the specific symptoms associated with schizophrenia, an individual... uh, will have a break from reality and experience what we call psychosis. And the symptoms of psychosis would include things like hearing voices, having thought disorder, so delusional ideas about things that aren't necessarily based on reality, um, and, uh, you know, potentially um, hearing voices that are telling them to do things that would be completely out of character and completely not um, connected to who that person truly is. Um, so those symptoms are very intense for a person who's having a psychotic break, very debilitating, incredibly scary and terrifying, and, um, you know, uh, requires medical treatment. I've had the privilege of working um, in services that, you know, are delivering early intervention for psychosis. And so, you know, in Manitoba, we have really one early intervention program for psychosis called EPIS. And um, we only have one. And uh, we probably need many other programs that are going to treat psychosis and and reach, you know, individuals early. And again, it comes back to that, you know, um, important message around having the right mix of services readily available so people aren't having to dig for them or get to, to a point where they're so, so far gone that the family or our community is, is having an emergency response. Um, so that's just a few things about schizophrenia and psychosis. Um, it's a it's it's very it's not it's not a common disorder, um, but certainly one in a thousand will experience you know schizophrenia. And so if we think about Manitoba, we need to be planning our health services based on that prevalence rate of schizophrenia and develop services that match the population need. And currently, we don't have enough services to treat um, psychosis early. Um, and so I would say that that's an important part of the conversation. Um, in terms of treatment of psychosis, there it is a it would be a psychiatric emergency, you know, to respond to someone who's in an active psychosis. Um, and we want to get them treatment 
um, immediately. Medication would probably be the first line of intervention for the for that illness. And there are very effective treatments for um, psychosis and for the symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, but it's not just about medication. It's about a comprehensive approach to supporting that person's rehabilitation and recovery and uh, providing ongoing monitoring and support um, to help them, you know, again, recover and flourish in their lives. Um, so that would be an important part of uh, a system as well. The individuals who have had, you know, a diagnosis of schizophrenia will benefit from, you know, case management support, will benefit from the opportunity to um, have support around uh, employment goals or education goals, um, you know, family therapy, a whole host of things that will be important for that treatment. What about the the perception or, or maybe the reality that a lot of people go through when they, they go off of their medications when they are feeling better? Can you talk a little bit about that? One of the things about um, any health condition, you know, for all of us, I've taken penicillin and, you know, for... Um, strep throat, and I think I'm feeling better, and I don't need to finish that, right? It's a part of our human condition to um, think that we're okay and we're good. Um, A lot of work has to happen and does happen um, in terms of treatment of mental illness and psychiatric disorders to to educate an individual around their illness and to understand the importance of the whole host of treatment options, including medication. So, you know, certainly there are lots of situations where, you know, people might go off their medication. But I think one of the main things that we are trying to build into our mental health care systems is good education around the importance of adherence to treatment and including medication and um, really giving people a lot of support to to look at what are the barriers to taking your medication. So if, if there are side effects that are problematic for a person, because often that's what leads a person to to not take their medication. They may be experiencing a side effect that's uh, debilitating or interfering in their life. So being able to help that person problem solve those side effects, either with other kinds of treatment options or other um, health behaviors that can, you know, reduce the effects of that side effect. So that's one of the biggest barriers to uh, medication adherence for a lot of folks. So if you can really understand what's going on for a person if they're deciding to not take their medication and helping them figure out some solutions around those challenges. So that's an important piece of that. So I guess we'll end on this and just this idea one more time for those that understand the stigma, Mm -hmm. those that are very sympathetic, those that Mm -hmm. see mental health as the crisis that it is and understand what those with mental health issues are going through. Mm -hmm. How do we square that circle for people who just are not comfortable with the idea of someone who's committed a serious crime being left to their own devices? We know from the outside looking in how critical, you've just outlined it, Mm medication use and their treatment plan, et cetera. Should we be comfortable with the idea of someone being responsible for their own treatment plan in essence? Well, we have to recognize people's human rights and, um, and balance that with public safety, right? That's really what we're talking about. And what we, we advocate for at CMHA is you know, a balanced perspective. Um, you know, we have a strong legal system 
and good processes in place to make good decisions that balance public safety and human rights and are grounded in the belief that treatment is possible and treatment leads to recovery. And so, you know, our approach at CMHA is to not polarize, but to understand the complexity and to understand the many views, but ultimately to encourage all of us to um, to know that people do recover from mental illness. And for some people, ongoing support is required through the course of their life to maintain their well-being. And we want to make sure the services and supports are in place to do that for people. And if people who are, you know, vulnerable for relapse, you know, have those supports readily available, then then I'm going to believe that that's going to make a difference for a lot of people. Um, and that, you know, we need to continue to um, move along in this journey and um, and try and understand one another. On the human rights side, there's there are there's the general pop population mm-hmm. at large yep. in terms of because we all have rights to feel Absolutely. safe as well. Yep. So um, maybe the same question just asked a different way, or maybe a different question altogether. Just this idea of ensuring that if we know an individual could be a threat to public safety, do we need to have a program in place where it's more than just yeah, I'm going to do it. I've figured it out regardless of what caregivers are saying. Do we need that that check and balance? You know, what did they say about detente with the Soviet Union? They said, trust but ver- verify. Mm-hmm. Do we need to verify that mm-hmm. for everyone's public safety, including individuals who mm-hmm. are susceptible when there's a track record of what they mm-hmm. are capable of doing mm-hmm. uh, when off their medication? Mm-hmm. Um, my experience has been over the years of working in the mental health sector that there are individuals who, like I said, need ongoing support. And um, we have programs that provide that. So we have programs that are uh, sort of community treatment um, teams. And there are individuals who will probably have a lifelong involvement with a service like that. And, um, you know, I would say that we need to have those services be readily available so that, you know, when we have uh, circumstances where people need that ongoing follow-up, and it may not be necessarily under the umbrella of, you know, the Mental Health Review Board, but those supports, you know, outside of that, you know, um, forensic mental health sort of stream um, need to also be readily available and that people can transition to different levels of support and that we would be, you know, an advocate that those kinds of supports be in place for people and that we, you know, create that system of care where those services can be tapped into. In terms of availability of, uh, of treatment options uh, versus mandated, and I don't want to push you in either direction, just a, an understanding of, of what works in, in certain situations and maybe what doesn't. So we have available, um, you know, some services that are voluntary and some services that are mandated where an individual is um, involuntary. And some of those services are in the community. So I would say that um, when an individual is experiencing a a significant mental illness that requires um, a treatment intervention, and if they're not competent to make their own treatment decisions, there are situations where people are you know, involuntarily engaged in a service. 
um, some of those services happen in the community. And a program uh, called the Program for Assertive Community Treatment, um, although works mostly with voluntary people, it does also assist people who are less sort of motivated around their own uh, mental health and need a lot of support and a lot of um, assertive outreach to be engaged. So we need th those services to be available. Um, we have currently three programs for assertive community treatment in Winnipeg, and we probably need about seven in our city of this size. Um, so we need to see more investments in that kind of treatment support. And then the treatment team will work with that individual to identify the things that are going to be most critical for them to be successful in the community and to have access to the treatment services that they need. Um, for an individual who, um, you know, is being mandated to be involved in treatment, oftentimes that's a starting point for people. They may need to be mandated to engage in treatment, such as, you know, the mental health court. You know, they might have been involved in a, in a uh, legal activity or, you know, criminal charge, um, but ultimately the, the issue was their mental illness. Um, we also have a... Um, a drug treatment court, similar kind of model, mandated those those individuals be mandated to participate in treatment through the judicial system. But often people get activated, you know, early on, and they start to see that there's a bunch of people that can really help me. And then a lot of folks uh, are voluntary after that. So it may be that we start to think about mandated services and that kind of approach as really a way of getting people engaged. Because, you know, people are, you know, often in crisis and, you know, may say they don't need any help. But then once they pause and they slow things down and they start to understand sort of how their life got to where it was, they're most happy to receive support and treatment and be engaged. So, you know, again, it comes back to availability of services, you know, a community that's paying attention and responsive when someone's experiencing distress, that we reach out, we offer support, we encourage early intervention, and go from there. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.